I'm your host, Kinsey Huesman, and I'm here with my two best friends. It's Aaron. And Malik. How are we doing today? Pretty good. It's cold. Pretty good. It's starting to rain. Uh, You're from Texas. You don't get to complain about the rain. Mm Hmm? Everyone in Texas wants rain, right? Like, y'all are they're in the middle of the drought or something? Hey, You've man. been in a drought all summer? Based off my job, I don't like the rain. That means I have to keep yeah, the rain. Yeah, I despise, fields. yeah. I despise the rain. Every time it, in the field? No, nah, because we have grass, so we have to paint the lines on the fields. Mm-hmm. So every time it rains, it washes the lines away. And yep. doing it from, the, from scratch, it takes at least two, three hours if you do it from scratch. Oh, yeah. Why don't you just oh. get turf? If the world was only that Turn. simple. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> let's, let's, I think we should head into the question of the week. Yeah, before okay. we start going, we're starting to go off on a tangent here. But yeah. <laughs> per our conversation before we start the recording, would y'all rather have a big wedding or a small wedding? It's the question Personally, of the day. I'll go first since I'm not yeah, the one in a relationship. Um... I'd rather have courthouse and then a big party. That's what I'd rather do. So not do the ceremony, just do not, like, yeah. a reception. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to people at work the other day. They say, hey, right, you look like the person who you just come home one summer, like one Christmas, and married, have a couple kids. I was yeah, I probably would. <laughs> just not tell like, anyone you got married? Yeah, don't want no one my business. But you would tell us, right? Yeah? You would tell us? Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> you have to but tell yeah. us. Yeah, sure. We'll Especially just, if you have kids. We'll just hear Look. little kids screaming in the background. Like, hey, Look, what's kids, that? You can't get mad at me because I'm nowhere close to doing that. <laughs> That's fair. Okay. Yeah. But yeah courthouse yet, yet. and then big party. Big, big party. Big, big party. Uh-huh. Lots of people. Yeah, about a hundred. That's a lot. All right, that's not. Uh, I see. I don't think that's too big. I don't think that's too many. I don't think that's big. I, I feel think like that's max like, of one hundred. I feel like it depends on on the venue. Like I if, think one hundred and fifty is considered like a big one hundred and fifty up. I would think is a big. See, wedding. My issue would be like, who do I, who would I invite? It's okay, you know. Obviously, like, family and friends probably would have to invite the people who invited me to theirs. No, you don't have to. You don't have to. I don't think you have to. I think if you're – those people could have a different budget or a different idea of what they want their wedding to be, a big wedding. Also, I think it depends on the time frame. Like, if people got married while we were in college and we got invited, we're not in college anymore. Have you talked in the last five years, four years? And then, again, like, if you want a small wedding, I think those people would just have to respect that you want a small wedding and there were certain people closer in your circle that, you know, were invited. I don't think just because you got invited to someone's wedding doesn't necessarily mean that they are invited to yours. I I agree with that. But my question, where do you draw the line? Like, where's where do you stop it at? Because someone's going to get the boot. But where do they get the boot at? Especially if you like go like just even a little bit outside of like that inner circle. Like if you just like mm-hmm. us, like the six. Okay, cool. 
But it's, I feel like as soon as you like invite someone outside of the six, now you're getting into into interesting waters of who's a closer yeah. friend than who. Well, I think it's personally, I think it's no one's business. If, That's fair. If like someone got invited to a wedding and you felt like you should have got invited, that's that person's wedding. You don't get to dictate what your relationship with them are. If they decided, hey, I want a small wedding, we're still friends, but like I'm trying to keep it small, budget reasons, personal reasons, whatever. I think you just have to respect that that's their decision and you don't get to be mad that you didn't get invited. Now, if it was a family member, and for some reason you thought, or it's like your best friend and you see each other, talk to each other every day, and you've been friends since you were seven, yeah, I might start asking questions like, what's up, man? Why didn't I get invited to your wedding? But like people that you like, we, we were friends with in college, but don't really talk to on the reg now. I feel like they just have to respect that you didn't get invited. See, I just counted, right? Outside of family members, I only talk to 15 people now. Mm-hmm. So it looks like I'm going to have a max of like 50 people at the party just because I just don't know anyone. Oh, yeah. And it hurt people, too. So, yeah, 75 to 100. I see. And I think that's like the older I get. I used to think I wanted a big wedding with basically anyone I ever encountered. But the older I get, the more I truly just want the people I like family and the people I talk to. Yeah. My problem is, is that I have a big family. So like my family already makes up like 50 people. Damn. So my goal would be to keep it around a hundred, which I think is doable because Dalton doesn't have a big family and like really there would be like six to seven. And I, th- I guess there's 50 people, including my family. I don't know if I included my family friends. I think I did, which is See, basically my high school friends. And I don't so think then six to seven college for there's like literally six to seven people I would invite from both colleges. I'm going to be honest. I would probably only invite my aunts and uncles. I'm not, I don't really talk to my cousins. So hmm. See, I have the, the, we have the big family problem. And for us, it's yeah. both, it's both of us. So that's why, <sighs> where do people get cut? It's, see, it's harder with, fam- it's easy with friends. Mm-hmm. It's harder with family to be like, we're trying to have a small fit or a small wedding. You're not invited. Cause then they are like, well, we're family. Yeah. And then you can't ask like your mom or something. She's like, no, they're your family. You gotta, you gotta invite them. Mm-hmm. See, and I'm on and I think we're both like almost the point. Just parents, grandparents, call it good, be done. Yeah. And then yeah. knock it out. Yeah. Because yeah. if we include everyone, it might as well just be a big one. And I'll just invite everyone who ever played with, with me on Troll Tide ever. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. All <laughs> I'm saying is that this, oh, I was going to say this about the wedding thing. Living out of state now, like, if me and Dalton got engaged, we'd probably have our wedding in Colorado. In fact, I want my wedding in Colorado. See, and then you gotta, like, book flights. See, that means that less people will come. Yeah. Because it's out of state, so the wedding would be even smaller. I mean, I might not come. That's a lot of money. You have to come. (laughs) I'll just just FaceTime Malik and... 
I'm like, all right, it's good. Hey, if you give me prior notice, I'll I'll be there. Oh, I would give everyone plenty of notice. So if they wanted to like make it their vacation where they do the wedding on a Saturday Which, and then they stay the rest of the week in Colorado Saturday? somewhere. Oh, now what time of the year would you want to get married? Oh, if I it's would. The fall, if it's the fall or the winter, no can do. I would do the fall. <laughs> I want a fall wedding. <laughs> I would, yeah. the latest I would go was September. I would have. That's no I could, can do. I would maybe, maybe have a summer wedding, but I do kind of want to fall. Please, please come to my wedding. In the fall. <laughs> I'm really going to have to debate this, man. You can take off a day from work. Not even that. Football's on. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, we just need to start another podcast that has us talk about random things. So that way we can go you know, off more yeah, on a tangent. Well, I was going to be like, you know who didn't want to be in the situation? That mom at the beginning of the episode when the car exploded. Okay, Rob, we like that segue. Oh, okay. But, but Malik cut me off. <laughs> Malik started talking. My bad. I said, oh, okay. okay, let's talk about this week's episode. First and foremost, what did you think of Law & Order Los Angeles? I didn't know it had the guy from uh, Scream in it. Yes! I did not know that. Oh, oh he is the guy he from Scream. I was thinking about he was a guy from Riverdale. I was he's thinking a, he's about from that how too. he was the guy from Jericho. Mm. Jericho? Like Chris Jericho? The wrestler? No. The show Jericho. I've never seen it. It was on like back in the primetime TV back in the day. It was about some... I don't really remember the whole concept, but there was like radiation and this town wasn't affected or these people are still trying to stay. Uh, doesn't sound interesting. Stay. It was really good. Anyways. Anyways, obviously Skeet Ul- Ulrich is in it. That's who we're talking about. He's, I love him. He's so just, he looks so good. I, I love the way his it. hair was slicked back in the show. All right, let's he has the on. build I love. Alright, you can daydream later. Put it back in your pants, Kins. Let's keep moving forward. <laughs> okay, so what did y'all think of the show? That wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. I don't think it was better than Yeah, it's not better than you caught, your statement. Yeah. Okay, so for the listeners, I texted him earlier in the week and I said, Okay, I I know this is gonna be wild, but I think SVU LA is better than SVU, and I can't believe it only got one season. I stand back that. I thought that was one of the best episodes of Law and Order I've ever seen. I think it deserves more than one season. It, it was pretty. That episode was pretty good. But yeah, the episode was really good, and I was surprised that it only got one season based off of that one episode because it has a star-studded cast. Because the yeah. the bald guy, uh, what's his name, Corey Stoll, the actor's name is Corey Stoll. He was the other detective he's in a lot of things too he was in ant-man oh yeah he's played he's like one of those actors where you've seen him in a lot of things but you never remember him and he's probably been the villain yeah and then terrence howard of course yeah my brother anyways it's one season i couldn't believe it the show's awesome dick if you're listening i need more bring it back bring it back man i need an explanation for why it was canceled let's look it up shall we okay you look it up we'll begin long so stop me once you find it i want to know uh, law and order los angeles season one episode four silmar and if you're wondering you can watch it on amazon prime 
It opens with a mom leaving her kids in the car as she runs into a house. Her kid, they're, okay, the kids are listening to, what do they have, like, Dora the Explorer music playing on the radio? It's Dora. So she drives up, pulls into this nice suburban neighborhood. Nice houses, looks very normal. She's like, listen, kids, it's like, I don't know, a three-year-old boy, four-year-old, maybe like a two-year-old, one-year-old girl. Yeah, I think they're like like, three and seven. No. I thought it says in in the thing. Three and no, something. that girl could. Three and one. That might be right, but it says at the end of the trial. Oh. So, anyways, young children. She's like, "Here, here's your toy. Entertain your sister. I'll be right back. This won't take long." He's like, "No," and she's like, "You'll be fine. You'll be okay." So the mom goes into the house, and then the garage explodes. Catching the car on fire with the kids still in the car. That's a sad, sad way to see your kids go, man. It, it was it was really sad. It, it was a very emotional scene. Mm-hmm. Y'all What'd ready? you find? Yeah. So it got canceled due to the lack of ratings. So apparently um, the first episode had over 10 million people watching it. Right? Okay. And after the first episode, it took a sharp decrease, and Damn. they lost they lost uh, viewers after every single episode. I wonder if like it was going on at the same time as SVU, and then that's people would just well, rather this watch was SVU. The first no, they played was like, they played after they wouldn't play them at the same time. Yeah, this was like the like the first one that was outside of a New York, and people just say like it like creativity. They felt like it just wasn't, it didn't live up to the standards of SVU and all the other ones. I disagree. I think the acting was so phenomenal in this episode. I think it's better than a lot of acting in SVU and the original. I think people just try to compare it to SVU and it just didn't live up to the standards. I guess that's. that's I wonder what season of svu it was too because svu had this like time where the seasons were just so good back to back like i feel like if it came out in some of these newer seasons i don't think those seasons i love svu i don't think those seasons are as good as some of the originals not even the original couples but like that middle season gap. seven through like yeah we're just like phenomenal seasons oh yeah I, so I agree. if it came out during that gap 2011 yeah, I don't I know the gap, gap years of, yeah, of, and like I could see Look how it up. could not live up to that hype. But I think if it came out now with like SVU kind of on a not downward, but just not as great as that, mm-hmm. I could see it doing better. Yeah, I and feel not like feeling like it's competing. Yeah, it'd probably be good now. I feel like SVU's like wrapping up. I would think. Yeah, because it's definitely getting on. So bring LA back. <laughs> Okay, so the mom and the people in the house lived. It was just the garage and the car with the kids. The garage was a meth lab that exploded. And the guy whose house it was was Ronnie. The mom was... Okay, so the mom that showed up, she showed up because she was sleeping with Ronnie. So it turns out that 
Ronnie was on her husband's softball team at some point, and I guess that's where they started, like, they met, and then she started seeing him, so she took her kids to a booty call. That's crazy. And he had a meth lab in his garage. And this scene with the husband, that was heart-wrenching because you can see that he's torn up, she's torn up, and then he finds out, and she run, he runs into the room because the police have him separated when the police tell him. And he's like, you were seeing... Or... Oh, I think they all thought that she was maybe buying meth from him. They yeah. hadn't... Like, they didn't realize they were seeing each other. So the husband runs in and kind of accuses her. And she's like, no, I was seeing him. I was seeing... I was not doing drugs. I was seeing him. Which, you know, obviously doesn't make it... Doesn't make it any better. better. If anything, but... it almost makes it worse. Yeah. I found I what... I found what season was going on in 2011 for SVU. Okay, which one? Season 12. Yeah. yeah. Prime time. Yeah. That's the one... That's right before... Was it 12 or 14 where Elliot left? 14. Uh... But 14, in season 13, that's when they're like, what's that big story that they're like building up on? But it's like, the, is it the trafficking rink or something? But that's like, that happens right in 12, or they like start building up to that. No, Elliot, wait, the trafficking Elliot, rink where Craig Elliot left in 12. I think so. Elliot left in end of 12. Okay. So yeah, that was a big, that was a good season. Yeah, because mm -hmm. yeah, I, I was about to say, Elliot wasn't involved with when Craig was involved. Elliot was in the show when Craigan was involved, but so that would make sense if Elliot left in twelve and then Craigan's thing is in thirteen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so prime. Okay. Yeah, mate. That's why I couldn't compete. We still had Elliot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're in this heart wrenching moment. She's sleeping with. Okay, so it's wild to me. I don't. Obviously, the kids' deaths are not her fault. But to bring your kids to your hookup and to leave them in the car? Call? Yeah. It's, that's, like, not great parenting. <laughs> it's horrible. So, then they're like, okay, let's investigate Ronnie and see what his family has to say. So, they go to Ronnie's mom's house. His mom and his sister's there. There's obviously very two different opinions of Ronnie. The mom thinks he's an angel that can't do anything wrong. And the sister thinks he's a demon that has a lot of things wrong with him. And isn't surprised he's in trouble. So their new theory is that Ronnie isn't using the nitrate methane for mom. Okay, so then they're talking to the mom. And the mom is like, no, he's such a sweetie. Would a bad boy make modeled airplanes? And they're, because they're like, does he ever get anything shipped here? And he, she's like, his model airplane stuff. And they're like, okay, that's weird. Who does model, what nerds build model airplanes? Also, I didn't know that, mo I thought model airplanes were just wood structures. I didn't know they needed, like, chemicals and actually flew. No, they actually launch them. A-Rod, have you ever seen the thing in, like, on the news in Austin where they do, like, the little festival for it? It's, it's pretty, yeah. Pre yeah, it's pretty cool. <laughs> It is nerdy, but I definitely say it's a, it's pretty cool to watch. It's a very niche hobby. Mm -hmm. So so they she's like, yeah, he gets packages from UPS. So they go to UPS and they're like, what's gets delivered at this ad address? 
And they're like nitrate methane, which I guess you can use to make model airplanes, but also is apparently used in fertilizer bombs. Boom! <laughs> yes. And he bought a lot of nitrate methane. So now they're like, oh my god, where's the nitrate methane? Where's Ronnie? Where? What's he gonna bomb? What's going on here? There's a bigger... And now there's like an all-out alert because they're like, someone's gonna bomb the city. Okay. And then they say the phrase, phrase, a grudge against Kobe Bryant. Did y'all hear that? No. I forgot who said it in what what context. I think they were talking about how, I don't know, I don't remember. Oh, Staples Center. He had enough. He had enough to blow up the Staples Center. Yeah, and then they're like, maybe he has a grudge against Kobe Bryant. Yeah. So, which I was like, rest in peace, and also I was like, what a time that this came out with it's just weird to hear things like that and then you know what happened later wow can you pick this episode crazy they arrested ronnie at a friend's house he was trying to call crawl through the crawl space and they're like we'll let the rats get you and he's like no no i hate rats i'll come out and he did it was really easy he did not put up a fight <laughs> at all so someone purposely it ended up with, like, someone purposely tampered with Ronnie's meth lab to make it explode. And Ronnie wants to wants to deal before he says who has the fuel. But Terrence Howard wasn't going to give it to him. So, yeah, they realized that it was, like, what did they say? It was some alcohol that they found in the meth lab. And Ronnie was like... Anybody knows, any good meth cook knows that if you put that, like, concentrated alcohol... Yeah, it was, like, un-something alcohol. It's not unconcentrated, that's not the word, but it's... Unfiltered? Yeah, it was something like that. I think I wrote it down. Unsaturated? That's not a word. Unsaturated alcohol, yeah. That sounds right. Anyways, if you put that, if you cook with that, then it will explode. He's like, anyone knows that, why would I do that? And then everyone realized, took a step back, and was like... Someone did it on purpose. And that's what made it explode. So he's not going to get his deal. So they're like... I guess Ronnie had said something about his sister's fiancé. So they were like, investigate the sister's fiancé then. And that is what they did. They interviewed Terry, the fiancé. And he seemed real sketchy right off the bat. Did not do a good time hide. Do a good job hiding and he said he went to ronnie's garage because he needed wiper fluid for oh what's her name what is ronnie's sister's name amy needed wiper fluid for amy's car and he saw the meth lab but he was like it's not my place to tell amy that her brother's cooking meth which I was like, I don't, feels like a weird secret to me. Yeah. How do you not, like, know someone cooks meth? Like, how do you know someone for an extended period of time and not, like, you've never been in their garage or you never, like, smell anything, you know? I feel like if... Do you, I, I feel like people can keep it a secret, do you not? Mm-hmm. I feel like after I've known someone for a certain amount of time, besides, like, their personal bedrooms, if there's a room in the house I haven't been in, that's sketchy. Like, if I just have never seen your garage... I think it's sketchy. Your personal bedrooms, okay, but I don't know. Maybe he, they didn't get invited to his house a lot. Like if I had a meth lab, I wouldn't be inviting people over. I guess that's fair. 
But if they've been there a few times, I, I, I would think that's sketchy. I don't know. I don't know. I could see where it's like they've been there. They just had to drop something off, pick something up. He never threw a party, never had them like over for dinner. Yeah, yeah he he wasn't going to tell. I just think it's weird that he wasn't going to tell his fiance that her brother was cooking meth. I mean, I know that's not a fun conversation, but I feel like it's maybe something you should bring up. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, do you know your brother's cooking meth? <laughs> Are you concerned? I won't say anything, but I'm just wondering if you I'm know. Just like, like, shit, you know. Is there anything like? Is there anything like my siblings? They can't hide shit to save their life. Okay, so then he was also being sketchy. He was like, "I picked up the truck in Oklahoma and brought the trailer or whatever." But Ski Ulrich over there is like inspecting everything. And when he leaves, he was like, the hitch on the truck doesn't match the hitch on the trailer. So they couldn't, you know. I don't know what you're trying yeah. to do, but don't do not do that no more. Have intercourse? Nah, nah. Have intercourse? <laughs> yeah, they couldn't hitch up together. Oh. They couldn't touch. Okay, you know don't what? do that. <laughs> don't do that. I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Hughesman. Your 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 daughter is 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 something different. <laughs> so obviously he was there like this dude kinda sketchy. He was acting real sketch too. He wasn't like playing it cool. Well and I would have thought this drove... guy was sketchy if he lived in the middle of the woods in an RV. Yeah, he did live like at a campground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. California's expensive though. That is true. Apparently and this is like back then. I was gonna say, you know, maybe now. Apparently, I see a lot of people on TikTok who just sell all their shit and go live in an RV. Yeah, they live in their in their cars. Yeah, it's, it's it's a yeah. big trend. And they make their cars real cool. I'm not gonna lie, some of those I'm like, that is mm-hmm. kind of look cool. It was after the hitch. Okay, yeah. Sorry, we were talking about the hitch. And then they drove Amy all the way out there. The police did, and we're like, hey, by the way, you drive Amy. <laughs> that got me. That's that a <laughs> Hey, can you take her back? <laughs> if I was her boyfriend, what the fuck? You brought her out here. Like, what if what if they had broken he's up like, or I'm something? Not even going back. You're going back. <laughs> well, what if he's like, I'm not even going back, but you're going back. I didn't ask her to be here. <laughs> so Terry came to California with two guys. He lied. It was really easy to find out. But Terry made pit stops in Indiana, and I'm pretty sure Michigan, but I didn't get the last of it. I don't want to rewind. But essentially, he was like, yeah, I drove straight across from, like, South North Carolina, one of the Carolinas. Straight across. Didn't stop. But really, he went to Indiana and Michigan. And let me tell you, those are not on the way. Didn't he go to Minneapolis, too? Isn't that in Michigan? I don't know. That's in no, Indiana. that's in Minnesota. That's in that's Indiana. In Wait, Indianapolis? Minneapolis. Oh, Minneapolis Minneapolis. Is I think it's in Minnesota. Yeah. Okay, so maybe it was Minnesota and Minnesota. Indiana. Either way, those were not on the pit stops between North Carolina Either and LA. Either fucking way, he went out of the blue. He went out of the way. Out of the blue? <laughs> out of the way, sorry. Amy, Terry, and two friends are practicing muslims with terroristic ideals okay they found this because they went back to amy's house they saw 
or Amy's mom's house. They're asking Amy's mom what she thought of Terry. This woman thinks everyone's an angel. Mm-hmm. She will not suspect anyone of anything. She's like, Terry brought Amy presents. And they're like, let us see the presents. It was a burka. <laughs> and I want to, before we proceed with the rest of this podcast and the direction it's headed, I just want to put it out there that we at this podcast know that there are Muslims that are not violent. Mm-hmm. There are Muslims that practice, and it's fine to have their own religion. We don't judge. Yeah, we don't. It's cool. Like, we know that not all Muslims are terrorists. Not all Muslims are bad. But it is going to go into this terrorism direction this episode is. But I just wanted to put it out there that we in no way are stereotyping or making generalities to it. Or to the faith. The faith is fine. The faith is not evil or whatever. There's just bad seeds in every religion. Okay. So they found the burqa. Then they found videos and pictures of uh, Amy inspiring. What? How would you describe that video? In- evoking terroristic threats. Or tendencies provoking violence. Yeah. And so they're they're Muslims with terroristic ideals. Mm Mm-hmm. So then they think that one of one of their targets is this cartoonist that parodied Jesus, Buddha, and Allah and started getting death threats. And Amy was stalking him. They showed a picture of Amy. He's like, yeah, I was at a coffee shop and that woman was giving me a death stare. And I was thinking, that's not a low profile. That's not a good job. <clears throat> so one of the friends, Hagen, got some metal work done by his old cellmate. And they were like, well, what's the metal work? And they laid it all down and it looks like the RV. And so they're like, the RV? The bomb. The target, they figure it out appeared to be a terminal at the airport because these dudes spent a lot of time in the lounge staring at a terminal. It's not normal. They caught the guy. So don't worry. They were able to catch the guys and the bomb before detonation, but there's still 20 minutes left. So something's about to happen. And then it started talking about the trial. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is law and order. This isn't just about catching the bad guys. We got the whole trial thing to do, too. Terrence Howard deserves some more screen time. He's a great actor. He really is. He is. Oh, my gosh. He's I, I'm telling you, I can't believe the show's still like, how do you have an actor like Terrence Howard, how, Terrence Howard and not keep the show on? Imagine if he would have stayed in Iron Man. Yeah, I forgot he dropped out. Although Mm -hmm. I do like that other guy. Yeah. Okay. So they're all ready to go to, like, court. They're like, we're going to get them for killing the two children. But the military came into court, stompity stomp stomp, and stole the defendants. And they were like, by the way, U.S. property as of now, we're court adjourned. And they're, mm-hmm. and they're going to try them for treason in a military tribune, which we know all about because we covered it in the Alan Schindler Jr. case, which basically means, did he get a jury then? Or if it's just the military people? 
also based off other experience, they're not gonna really do much. Yeah, they're they've already decided they're guilty. Yeah. Okay. So, but Terrence Howard was over there like, uh, don't y'all like actually not get a lot of convictions when y'all do this? Like, isn't it like likely that they're not even gonna go to jail? Like, you're not success successful doing this. And that guy basically said, um, F off, man. <laughs> but because they're going to be tried in the military tribunal for treason means that they can't be tried for the murders of the children, which I didn't, didn't know that. So news to me. Terrence. Okay. So Terrence was like, no, 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 this is not going to happen. And he basically called the guy he reports to. He's like, are you a coward? Are you going to let the military do this to you? You seem like a coward to me. And basically bullied that guy into letting him try to win the defendants back. So they he took the military to court and was like, listen, you don't get to just decide what justice the American people get. And he went on this big speech about how it's unconstitutional. And, and the whole point of the justice system and of the, the jury of your peers is so that justice is in front in the public. And that everyone, it's transparent and everyone can see it. And if it's in military court, who knows what's going to happen? Is that fair? And the judge was like, no, that's not fair, Terrence. So they will be tried in LA for the deaths. And everyone was like, okay. Everyone else was like, we don't want this in LA because we think that if you have this in LA, there's going to be a lot of threats made against and there's going to be bombs and there's going to be terrorist activity because of this. But Terrence was like, no, if New York can do it, we can do it. And Amy's going to testify against Terry. And Terry got a fancy lawyer that's going to turn it into a terrorism circus. And so that DA was trying to warn Terrence. He's like, you don't know what you're in over your head. Like, you're in over your head. You don't know what's about to happen. And Terrence was like, dude, I got this. Trust in me. And I was like, I trust you, Terrence Howard. This is a good recap of this so far. Yeah, we, I like when you pat on your, on your chest just then. That was, not, that was a nice touch. <laughs> I believe in you. So the prosecution dropped the terrorism charges and everyone was like, oh, gasp. <laughs> Don't do that though. <laughs> okay, but the whole the whole people everyone in the courtroom were like oh. there was a collective gasp in the courtroom. What he did say? Mm -hmm. But it was the most brilliant move I have ever seen in one of these shows. He knew what he was doing. He said, don't fuck with me. I'm Terrence Howard. I am dropping the terrorism charges. You heard that, right? And then guess what happened? So he dropped that right before opening arguments. So the defense attorney got up and he, he had this whole spill ready about terrorism. And he was going to be like, wouldn't you be mad if your kids were dying? But every time he opened his mouth to say something terroristic, Terrence Howard was like, I object. And the court, he was like, this isn't about terrorism. You can't bring that into this courtroom. And the judge was like, you're right. Sustain. Keep going. And he was like, so the defense attorney messed with his, tightened his tie a little bit. He's like, got a little choked up. He's like, oh, no, I'm screwed. But he tried again. And he tried again with the terroristic thing. And Terrence Howard stood up and he said, judge. I object again. You can't let this happen. <coughs> and the judge was like, 
sustain. And then he did something I've never seen a judge do. He was like, dude, you're done. Obviously, you can't do your opening statement because you can't do it without terrorism. So sit down and let's proceed. And he didn't get to make an opening statement. Ken's, Ken's really got into it, man. <laughs> Am I doing it justice so far? But wasn't it crazy how the judge... I didn't know the judge could be like, no opening statement for you. No, I didn't know that either. So... Where am I? Sorry. I apparently did not need my notes for all of this. I just started going. Okay, so then they put the mom on the stand, you know, to tell her story. And it was heart-wrenching. I mean, she did phenomenal. And it was sad. I really feel for her because you could tell, like, she felt a lot of guilt. My poor baby. And it's not her fault. Fault. I mean, what she was doing was not great, but there's no way that she could have known that it would have ended that way. And the husband stood by her the whole time. Oh, that poor couple. Those were some great actors, too. That mom did a good job. Anyways, so, like, she did a great job as a, as a witness for the prosecution. And then the defense got up there, and they tried this whole thing that they're like, you know how you're sad for your children? Wouldn't you be sad? Essentially trying to be like, aren't aren't you sad for all the children in Pakistan? Let's all be sad for them. Therefore, terrorism. Yeah, they're okay. trying to flip it back. Yeah, and then Terrence Howard was like, "Judge," and the judge was like, "Sit down, sir. We said no terrorism." And I was like, clearly this guy has no case against the murder. This guy was just going to go for the terrorism thing, and he's screwed. Didn't do yeah. his homework. And honestly, I don't think the terrorism thing would have worked any better for him. I think he probably could have done a good job. Because, like, I mean, we can get into it later. But obviously, the children dying in Pakistan is very mm-hmm. sad. And yes, that was by war the you know the americans the Mm -hmm. israeli i don't know all of the politics i just know what i researched so yes that is sad and i would understand why someone wants justice for that do i think terrorism and attacks on other innocent people do i think attacking innocent people is the way to overcome attacking innocent people and getting justice for them no i don't think that solves anything by attacking innocent people if someone else is innocent get attacked but I understand what he's saying by, by like, they're just justifying and doing what they think is right for these innocent children. I could see where it could be a strong statement. A strong argument. Anyways. So, apparently, Ronnie found out about the fuel. And that's why Terry tried to kill him. He had Amy buy the... It was denatured alcohol. Oh, that was the word. That's what you put in. Yeah, denatured. Okay. <laughs> Unsaturated. That's on us. Listen. That's, yeah. Who, we're not chemistry people. <laughs> Wait, didn't you get one in science? Shut up. <laughs> I didn't make meth. <laughs> I don't think it's that hard to make some. Well, I never learned, so. Okay. So yeah, they killed Ronnie found out and that's why they were trying to kill him. Didn't do a great job. 
So then they put Amy on the stand to testify against Terry. And basically her whole thing was, Terry tricked me into, you know, converting to Islam and making me think he loved me. And therefore I went on with this. He used me in this plot to buy the supplies. And then he told me my brother had to die or whatever. And the whole time he didn't love me. It was a great statement. Would have put the nail in the coffin. But then the defense got good here. And the defense was like, well, look at this picture. Boom. And it was a picture of a ring. And then Amy, this dumbass, was like, he was going to propose. He did love me. And he was like, she was like, no, it was my fault. I, I did the whole thing. I know I just testified and said a million other times it was Terry. I, as a jury, would you believe that? Nah, all I could think was all of a she, sudden, she sucks. So she needs help. I, I sat there watching her be like, "No, it was me. It was my idea. I did it all." And I was like, "Okay, but that's not what you just said." And obviously, you just changed your mind when you found out he was going to propose. As the jury, I would be like, "Uh, do I have to listen yeah, to this?" I was part? like, "Do you, you really need Wiener that badly in in your life right now? <laughs> like, come on, come on now, lady." and then terry and then fucking terry's over there going because she was like it was me and he's like and like telling her what to say i'm like people can see i was like do y'all not yeah i was like do y'all not see this man i was like is this allowed is there no way to be like she's perjuring herself Mm -hmm. I, i thought it was dumb like clearly no if she had got up when the prosecution started questioning her and was like it's me and the prosecution was like no you told us it was him and she's like now i'm saying it's me because i don't want to lie on the stand i would believe that but you've already said the other thing on the stand so now it's all falling apart amy's like it's me but then terrence howard came in and was like okay if you believe in the islamic faith isn't a good muslim wife supposed to make all the decisions big decisions with her husband like essentially he went through this list and he was like you make no decisions and she was basically like yes i am a good wife i make no decisions and he was like okay then you decided to kill your brother on your own without confronting your husband and he and she was like uh uh because you could tell she couldn't say yes because then she wouldn't be a good muslim wife but she couldn't say no because then she would implicate terry again (laughs) and so terrence howard howard got her and was like boom mic drop get this witness off the stand then came the closing arguments and the defense basically also had nothing to say but terrence howard got up there and preached and i was like yes he sealed deal signed sealed delivered how could you not believe anything this man says as a lawyer he could tell me anything i'd be like i whatever he said that's true i was watching him with jc and I, literally i was sitting next to him i was like okay right on my brother right on he was preaching he was preaching and it was beautiful and i was like this man needs to be a lawyer in real life because he has the voice that could make anyone believe anything with the way he like Something about mm-hmm. his voice is just so like soft, but very like matter of fact. Just a wise voice. And they got the death penalty. 
which I didn't know. But they like won't be put to. Didn't they? They got the death penalty, but they won't actually be put. Yeah, to death. I think they didn't like officially no, get there's... the death penalty yet. Is what they were okay. trying to get at. But you know, they're I didn't know that. Was, like... I didn't know you could get the death penalty in California. You would think that was one state that you would. I don't think so anymore. Oh, okay. That makes sense. I don't think so anymore. I don't know which states have the death penalty and which don't. Other than the fact that I know for a fact Texas has the death penalty. Oh, oh yeah, we, oh. we we put them to sleep. Don't fuck up. We, we'll kill them. Send, send, send them down here. We'll take care of it. <laughs> we love our guns. You think if we love our guns that we're not going to also have the death penalty? Crazy. Like, don't worry, somebody will get them in or out of jail. Don't you worry. Twenty-seven states. I, Twenty-seven states. California on the list. Uh, let's find out. But I think the other thing is that a lot of states have the death penalty, but don't use it. That's. So they'll say they're on death row, but they won't actually kill them, or it takes a really long time to actually mm-hmm. kill them. I think Texas is one of the few that we actually will mm-hmm. kill you. But even then, I still think it takes a long time. Yeah, it's not. It's, not, it's definitely not a quick thing. Because I think you get to like live for a little bit too, and then you they kill you. I don't think it's like you get the death sentence and then they kill you right away. I think you like get a little bit. No, I think it's like years mm-hmm. and years. And I ended it with that was one of the best episodes of Law and Order I've ever seen. Mm. The dick, the dick did good that time. What? Apparently. In 2011, it was it was uh, prohibited. In California. Yeah. So the year after. Yeah. <laughs> they saw probably saw this guy got killed again. No more. Yes, it was this fake guy yeah. that really changed the law. Mm-hmm. Everyone saw this episode of Law and Order LA, and we're like, "Oh, this got to change." Not these men that killed two children. I don't think that's what happened. <laughs> okay. Did you know that this was based on a real case? No. What? And actually, now that I'm thinking about the timeline of this, Dick basically did this case the year after it happened. Hmm. He wasted no... T- he ripped this one straight to the headlines and or saw it and was like, Boom. New episode idea. Got it. Oh, Dick. You one creative person. Do you think he ever comes into the, like, writer's room and goes, I have this crazy idea for an episode, spouts off a case, and then everyone's in the writer's room is like, Dick, didn't that just happen in the news? And he's like, no. "No." We're gonna change the names. Or he walks in. I'm sure we'll get to this episode eventually, but the Casey Anthony one with Hillary Mm -hmm. Duff. And he walks in and he goes, Casey Anthony? But let's make it make it about vaccination. That was one of the craziest twists oh, in an yeah. episode I have ever seen. Like it was clearly about Casey Anthony. Could have done the whole case about Casey Anthony, and then he's like, "Twist, twist." It was another mom that didn't vac- vaccinate her child. Twist. Let's make it about vaccinations. And let it all out. Anyways, okay. So this case was based on. The Jihad Jang case. Jihad Jang? Oh, Jang. Like, Have you ever heard of it? I've heard of Jihad Jang. I've heard of Jihad. Yeah, I think it's... Okay, so there's Jihad, and then there's G.I. Joe Jang, and now we're going to put Jihad in front of Jang. 
for Sounds Charlie like it's going to be quite the story. Of. Oh, it is. It is. Buckle up. In the beginning, it's a little sad. At the end, it's going to get crazy. Lars Vilks had no idea the events he had set off by fulfilling a cartoon request in 2007. Lars, a Swedish cartoonist, was approached about a cartoon depicting the head of the Prophet Muhammad on a dog, and he agreed. Little did he know the publication of the cartoon would be followed by death threats and constant police protection. I think this man had police protection. I guess we'll get to it. I won't say now. I'll say at the end. But only one attempt was ever made. And it was a sort of attempt. Colleen LaRose was born June 5th, 1963, into an already broken home. She was the youngest of five kids with three older brothers and an older sister that she was really close to. The family lived around Detroit, and both her parents drank heavily. They eventually got a divorce when Colleen was three, but the pain didn't stop there. Colleen's father, Richard LaRose, started raping Colleen when she was only eight years old, and her sister Pam was when she was 11. So, I mean, both, yeah. In an interview, Colleen said she would cry in the car on the way to her father's house because she knew what was going to happen. Like when her mom had to drop them off for custody visits, his visits. Mm -hmm. Sick of the situation, Colleen ran away at age 13 and lived on the streets as a sex worker. The freaking sickos that have to know that she's underage and still picked her up anyways. And they need to be investigated because that's disgusting. Then she got, when she was 16, she married a man that was 33 and one of her customers. Which, there's conflicting stories on this. Okay, so most of mm -hmm. this comes from a four-part Rudder's investigative series on this. It was long, but really good. And very informative. But also, I watched this documentary on YouTube where Colleen was interviewed. She was interviewed in both. And in this writer's one, she said 16. And the YouTube one, she said she was 15. And he, they were able to get married because they faked her birth certificate or whatever. Which is gross. So gross. That's giving R. Kelly vibes. <laughs> it wasn't long before Carl Colleen ran away from him with a truck driver that promised to take her to Tennessee, and he did, but he pimped her out along the way. No. Eventually, 17-year-old Colleen ended up, in a sh up at a shelter for teens in Memphis. There she met counselor Ollie Avery Menino, and Ollie could see the pain and the hardships Colleen had been through. By this young age, Colleen was also using cocaine and heroin. Colleen told Ollie the whole story of her life. Ollie agreed to help, but by law, she had to report to the miner's family that they were safe. So Ollie called Richard LaRose and told him Colleen was safe and also confronted him with the accusations Colleen had made. All Richard said was, 
Yeah, I raped her. Colleen grabbed the phone and while crying, screamed, Look at what you've done to me. You did this to me. It's your fault. Why? Why? Then threw the phone at the bulletin board. And the counselor says she remembers this whole interaction because she's never, the way that the father, I mean, just, what am I trying to say? Admitted to it. And just, it wasn't like a brag, but he felt like no consequences, nothing about it, not guilty. Kind of proud. Mm -hmm. Disgusting. I don't think I would ever forget that either. She said she was just shocked when she heard it. The next thing we know about Colleen's life is that she was living with her mom, stepdad, and sister in a trailer near a radio tower in Dallas when a cute young repairman from Pennsylvania came to work on the tower. The two started dating and he gave Colleen whatever she wanted. Including a boob job. Oh, she got a new set of milkers, huh? Well, she said she said she wished she had bigger boobs, and he said, "Don't worry, baby, I got you." Throw some plastic in them bad boys. I mean, if that's what she wanted, and he granted, that is a good man. This man is good. He stays good. Okay. Coley moved with him back to Pennsylvania in the suburbs and they lived a good life until the couple took a trip to Amsterdam in 2007. At this point, Colleen and Kurt had been dating for five years. Yeah. So they were at this bar drinking in Amsterdam and Colleen was drinking and drinking and drinking as one does in Amsterdam and started a fight with Kurt and said that she could be a mean drunk. And he decided to go back to the hotel and left Colleen at the bar. No worries, though. Colleen met a nice Middle Eastern Muslim man and went home with him. This would start her fascination with the Islamic faith. She was curious. Also, how do you just cheat on your man <laughs> on your vacation? He gave you a boom job. Are you going to cheat on the man? That's crazy. I don't think she ever worked. She, like, he made all the money. That's I guess crazy. he made, like, a lot of money because the boot job and they went to Amsterdam and they lived in the mm -hmm. suburbs. Those, this is why I stay Those single. are the women Can't I'll never show. understand, man. And I, I heard that part and everyone just, like, Bruce Bassett. She was like, yep, she first found the Islamic faith in a one-night stand in Amsterdam while I was like, wait a second, she was cheating on her boyfriend on vacation. Like, no one bringing up the fact that she cheated. She was... And just went home. Never told him. I mean, wild. <laughs> but I guess there's wild parts of this story. So she got, from this one night stand, she got interested in the Islamic faith. And then the article pointed, I'd love to point out that, which the Islamic faith is very against one night stands. So kind of like ironic moment there that she found the Islamic faith from a wise night stand, which they do not condone. When her and Kurt got back to Pennsylvania, Colleen started spending all of her time 
at the computer learning all she could about Islam and communicating online with other Muslims. She even joined a Muslim dating site called Muslim Muslima.com. Just a few months after this- her what? I was like, you think that's still a real uh, a real website? I don't know. I gotta look it up. You curious? How do you spell it? <laughs> Muslim with an A at the end. Hmm. I'll just Google it real quick. See, I'm not gonna press on it. It's just a dating site. It's not like it's anything bad. Go ahead, Aaron. Get you a nice little Muslim girl. Let's see. Just a single muslims.com no muslim muslima.com i see it <laughs> <laughs> all right so it still exists for any listeners out there that are interested just a few months after her one night stand calling fully converted to islam by typing out the shahada the pledge to accept Allah as her only God. So I guess like to become a part of the Islamic faith, a, Mus- a Muslim, I think I'm, yeah. All you have to do is say the Shahada. You don't have to like be at a mosque or anything. So she just typed it out. By mid 2008, Colleen knew newfound faith, newfound beliefs, Turned from just beliefs and religion to fanatical. She started watching YouTube videos of the Israeli attacks on Palestinians and American attacks on Iraq. Many of these videos featured or dead or wounded children. This enraged Colleen. And listen, I'm in no way saying that she shouldn't be mad about this. This is upsetting. This shouldn't have happened. But, like, also, killing another innocent person isn't the way to solve that problem. Under the names Sister of Terror, I don't know, Miss Machiavelli, or her most infamous one, Jihad Jane, Colleen posted jihadist videos on YouTube and MySpace and started to form friendships with other jihadists named Eagle Eye. Black Flag, Abdullah, and Hassan. From this group, it was clear Eagle Eye was the leader. He portrayed himself as wise and brave, brave, bragging about participating in the the 2008 Mumbai attacks that killed 166 people. Colleen looked up to Eagle Eye as a mentor, and so she thought nothing of his first request. Send money to your Muslim brothers and sisters, he wrote. And so she did. Okay, so I think here we should maybe, because I had to look this up because I didn't know for for sure. Jihad is, jihad is a struggle or fight against the enemies of Islam. And the jihadists is the ones that carry it out. Okay, so she sent money. Then the request started growing. In March of 2009, Eagle Eye asked Colleen to come overseas, marry him, and then get him into Europe. 
Colleen agreed. Then Eagle Eye asked Colleen to travel to Europe and shoot Lars Vilks in the chest six times. Because they wanted to make sure no one knew it was an accident. That it was intentional. That's why they had six times. Colleen was chosen because her white skin, green eyes, and blonde hair meant she could blend in. Okay, so this is why this this case will become sensationalized once America finds out what's happening. Because, like, obviously at this point, no one knows what's happening. But it becomes so sensationalized because it was this clearly American woman. You know, the stereotypical American woman, blonde hair, white skin, whatever became what everyone will call a terrorist not that i she did but what she really thought she she was she was very naive and very susceptible to others guidance so it became so sensationalized because no one believed an american person or a woman looking like her could be a muslim or could or could be this terrorist I think everyone kind of had this stereotypical look of what a terrorist looked like. And when she didn't look like that, everyone freaked the fuck out. And they called this, like, the new wave of terrorism. The new look of terrorism. Colleen hesitated. She felt honored Eagle Eye would choose her, and she wanted to make him proud. But by this time, her mother and Kurt's sick father were living with them, and Colleen was in charge of taking care of them. She weighed her options, and finally she wrote back, I will make this my goal till I achieve it or die trying. Eagle Eye instructed her to wait for instructions as he prepared the plan. Okay, so this was the other thing. Kurt worked... Colleen stayed at home with these two elderly people. So essentially part of the what people believe was that of how she was so susceptible was that she was bored. She was just bored at home and she was online and she found this community that accepted her, told her how great she was, you know, made her feel like she belonged. As she waited, she continued to post jihadi videos and rants asking for money donations. This attracted the attention of the FBI, who left their card at Colleen's door. Did you know that? I swear, if some FBI agent left their business card at my door, I would think it's a joke. But it wasn't. So, Colleen had the FBI card. She reached out to Eagle Eye for, you know, her mentor for advice. Who's, and he was like, you need to call the FBI to find out, like, what they know. Because she was like, is this because of my YouTube channel? Or is or do they know more about this whole plot to kill Lars Vilks thing? So she calls the FBI. And they were like, do you, are you a part of any Islamic forums? And she was like, no. And they were like, do you solicit money for terrorists? And she was like, no. 
And they were like, do you know anyone by the online name Jihad Jane? Because that was her online name. And she's like, no. And they were like, okay, good day. And that was it. Which I'm like, that really, that's all you have to do is just lie. So blatant, like, you, they had to, like, know it was her for a reason. They had to, like, track the IP or something. And then they're just going to be like, well, she said no. <laughs> well, she said no. What else can we do? Yeah, I mean, like, obviously it's not. She said she wasn't Jihad Jane. She said when there's, like, videos on YouTube of her asking for money. Granted, I think she was wearing the uh, hijab. So they probably couldn't tell all the way it was her. But still, I feel like you could do some a little bit more investigation. But you're just going to be like, all right. But also a big thing in this case is that people will bring up is like, obviously the FBI is monitoring for terroristic, you know, Material. propaganda, yeah. plots, whatever, to stop it before it happens. But then people on the other side are going, how far can you go? Like, people have the freedom of speech. People have the freedom of religion. How far are they allowed to go on the internet before the FBI intervene? Like, these people are free to talk about it. Can the FBI intervene without them doing anything? Is that fair? Does that make sense? Yeah. They call them, like, thought crimes. Like, you have the freedom of thought and to think and to have your own beliefs and stuff. Can the FBI or the government really come down and be like, no? Hmm. Any thoughts or comments so far thus in the story? I feel like we need to test that theory. So well, Malik, there's plenty of there's plenty of cases that do test this theory. No, 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 you no. I think we need to do it ourselves. Mm. So, Malik, we need you to do it. Nah. Take one for the nah, team. You test it. See how far we can push the limits. We might cover this case, but I was just listening to a podcast the other day. Let's go to court. Obviously, I've shouted them out so many times because it's the only podcast I'm listening to right now because it's so good. But they did this case where, like, they call it the cannibal cop case because it was this cop that had really dark fetishes so he would write on like this dark fetish forum about essentially like everything he wanted to do to his wife oh. and you know which essentially was like string her up by a deer cut her open uh-huh. make her in pain or whatever and and then eventually like those were but he never did anything about it the wife saw the messages and stuff before he never did anything Sounds and that like was like fun. the big thing in this case was what's the crime? Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah, they, the defense basically argued that the actual actions were not his fetish, but talking about the actions were his fetish. Yeah. Which is a good defense. And what is the crime? And I think kind of it was it, talking about here in this instance, too, is like if these people are always just talking, if they're these fanatics that just were like, yeah, this guy should die and that guy should die, but never do anything about it. What's the crime? I don't know. Can't you? How far can the FBI intervene? Isn't it like the same thing as going to jail for like inciting a riot? Kind of the same thing. Yes. But the riot has to occur. That's true. Good question. 
so keep this in mind as we talk. So the FBI already reached out to her. And I, their problem was that you cannot solicit money for terrorism. Which is a crime. Which is what she was doing in her YouTube videos. Although she was not... She was trying to, I think... In her mind, she was raising money to help people... Other Muslims that were hurt by the war. Mm. Not necessarily. But I think that's a part of the naivete. Is that she thinks this money is going to the people that need it. Those affected by the war. Those put out of home or job because of the war. When I'm sure that's not where the money was going. Nope, probably not. And we'll get into this later, but I think this whole plot, murder plot, I think, we'll get into it. I think this whole thing was a scam. But maybe I'm giving away too much. Anyways. Also, the FBI will just take your word for it if you tell them, no, I did not commit a crime. So she went back to her online jihadist friends and warned them of her FBI encounter, which is also dumb because she didn't try to cover it up. But she basically said the FBI were at my door. You need to delete anything incriminating. Then she booked her flight to Amsterdam for August 23rd. Colleen also messaged her friend Hassan, who I said in the beginning was a part of this like group privately to help her get the forum administrators to delete all of her posts. Hassan in real life was a 15-year-old Mohammed Hassan Khalid, Khalid, a high school student in Baltimore who had immigrated from Pakistan with his family so his parents could give him a better life. However, after he watched YouTube videos of Muslim children hurt during the war, he also took his religion to another level, just as Colleen had. And they bonded over YouTube, these YouTube videos and became online friends. The last person, I don't know if they knew. Muhammad didn't know that Colleen was 40. I don't know if Colleen knew Muhammad was in high school. The last person Colleen reached out to was a 31-year-old Jamie Paulin Ramirez in Leadville, Colorado, who was entangled online with the same people as Colleen. Jamie's story is a little different. She converted to Islam after researching the religion for a college class, and she was very open about it, wearing a hijab in public and teaching her son the Islamic way to pray. This transformation caused many fights with her mom, who Jamie lived with. I apparently just didn't finish that sentence. Or I did. Anyways. Colleen, under the pseudonym Jihad Jane, wrote to Jamie about buying a plane ticket, saying, quote, Soon I will be leaving for Europe to be with our brothers and sisters. When I get to Europe, I will send for you to come be here, be there with me. This place is like a training camp, as well as a home. Jamie wrote back, quote, I would love to go over there. Later, Jihad Jane wrote the most damning message used in court, quote, when our brothers defend our faith and their homes, they are terrorists. Fine, then I'm a terrorist and I'm proud to be this. Jamie wrote back, quote, that's right. If that's how they call it, then so be it. I am what I am. Guilty. Go to jail. Go straight to jail. I think these women are just naive. I think what they th- I I understand the perspective they're coming from as in they're protecting the... they. 
in their eyes, everything that's being done is because of what happened to the children and the persecution that they're facing. And they see that as an injustice. And it is an injustice. Yeah. So they're be. like, they're just standing, everyone's just standing up for their religion. And I understand standing up for your religion. I don't think taking innocent lives is the way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They can't be throwing that terrorist word around while they live here, too. That's bad. But I see what around. they're saying is, I see what they're saying in the fact that everyone calls, for the most part, there's this, especially right after 9 11, there was this stereotype that Muslims were terrorists. At the time, people did not separate in their mind that you can be a Muslim and not be a terrorist, that all, not all Muslims are violent, that it's this group of extremists that took it too far and that has happened in christianity religions it's not this individual concept it's not because something was said in the quran it's not because they believe in allah that's in all religions is you have the main group and then you have one that branches off that goes into way more extreme and often violent tendencies but i see what they're saying because i you know there was a time when a lot of people had this stereotype of a Muslim is a terrorist and they're synonymous. And so I see what they're saying in the fact that us defending our religion makes us a terrorist. And if that's what they want to call it, that's fine. But we're defending our religion. I don't think they meant that they were proud to hurt people. They were proud of 9-11. I kind of think they just thought if if they're going to be mad at us for defending our religion or maybe they did believe violence. I don't know. I could kind of see the other. I just think they were naive. I just think they were very naive. Colleen wasn't the only one asking for Jamie to move to Europe. The man Black Flag in the group was as well. Jamie knew Black Flag as Ali Damache, who lived in Ireland. He wrote, quote, bring your son, marry me. I will teach you Arabic and in the mystical beauty of in the mystical beauty of the Quran. End quote. Jamie hesitated. Ali told her to pray before bed to Allah about it. Then if her dream was green or white, Allah wanted her to come to Ireland. Jamie tried, but was unsure of her dreams. No problem. Ali's dreams were were green. So Jamie agreed because it must have been a sign from Allah. See, that's where I think these women are just, they're just very naive and susceptible. And I think it's because they've had hard lives because that possibly, he just made that up because she wasn't going to come. Yeah, I was going to say that. That sounds like some bull crap. Yeah, I don't know if he really believes that. I think, you know, if he really is a fanatic, that's like, I did have a green G. Or if he just knew that's what she needed to hear to go. And just just manipulating her. Now we head back to Pennsylvania. And Colleen, as she prepares to leave, as instructed, she steals Kurt's passport and birth certificate and mails it to Muhammad in Baltimore. Then days before her flight, Kurt's dad died of a heart attack. Colleen had a choice to make. Go or stay behind for the funeral. She let Eagle Eye and the others know, quote, I'll be away from here in a couple of days. Then I will work on important matters, end quote. 
Then once again, in just hours of that message, the FBI was at Colleen's door. This time, Colleen didn't lie. She admitted visiting Islamic websites to grow and learn more about her faith. Valid. But she denied raising money or talking to extremists. Then the FBI asked if she had plans to go overseas. She said she was thinking about it, but now there was a death in the family, so Colleen was, had to stay. The FBI was like, well, what's a good way to get a hold of you? So Colleen gave her their, her phone number and said, call me next week, whenever. The next day, Colleen went to the funeral. The day after that, she told Kurt and her mom that she was going to run an errand, but instead she jumped on a plane for Europe. Again, what if the FBI... I don't know if this is because she hasn't committed a crime yet, so the FBI is just trying to, like, be like, we're on to you. Maybe if she thinks we're on to her, she won't do anything. Or what? Because if if you're the FBI and at her door and you think she's going to go overseas, you're just going to then let her go overseas... She's not that cunning. If anything, she seems kind of dumb. I mean, she did only have a 7th grade education. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I don't know. It's complicated because I feel for these women. I really do. I get I it, don't think but how, like, gullible can you be, I guess? Or what's the word you susceptible to things? Yeah, and I mean, we've talked about Colleen's childhood. And, I mean, she's always had this feeling of wanting to be... One, wanting to be accepted, wanting to be a part of something, wanting to not just be this woman that stays at home, just be something. And this community gave it to her. I'm not saying that Islam, the faith, is a cult, but I'm saying this extreme group... This few group of people that found each other online, the men in it seem to be cult leaders where they have this charismatic personality and these susceptible women get sucked into it. And the susceptible, I mean, the 15-year-old kid had was having it rough too and just wanted to be accepted and he found a group that accepts i mean it kind of feels does not feel a little cultish yeah it kind of does it is they're like almost vulnerable okay where was i this time colleen didn't oh wait no we already read that she got on the plane for okay when colleen arrived in amsterdam she went straight to a mosque that she was told her contact would pick her up from she wanted she waited for an hour in the rain before a muslim woman came and took her to abdullah colleen was thrilled she finally she would finally meet other jihadists she would get to train as an assassin and hear more about islam but Colleen was disappointed. There was none of that. Colleen wanted to get the ball moving on the mission, but Abdullah seemed to just be feeding around the bush and making excuses by why nothing was happening. He didn't really tell her anything, didn't really talk, was very quiet. Finally, after two weeks, Colleen and Abdullah decided it was best for her to go. He suggested 
for her to go to Black Flag in Waterford, Ireland. In the meantime, Muhammad had mailed Black Flag Kurt's passport. Black Flag, or Ali Damashe, was born in 1965 in Algeria, but spent most of his life in France. After high school, he sold perfume at a department store. Then in 2001, he moved to Ireland, married a Catholic woman there, and worked in several different sales jobs. He also enrolled in computer training programs where he started spending copious amounts of time online. His marriage eventually ended and he started attending mosque and wearing full Muslim attire. Online, under the username Black Flag, Ali boasted about his plan for Kali and how and how everything was organized and ready. Jamie and her son arrived to Ireland first, and Jamie and Ollie immediately married. The next day, Colleen arrived. Neither woman knew the other one was coming. Colleen especially didn't know Jamie had planned and did marry Ollie. All four people stayed in the one-bedroom apartment Ollie rented, with the women and the child sleeping in the living room and Ollie sleeping in the bedroom. Still, this wasn't what Colleen had expected. Ollie worked during the day, so Colleen spent time studying her target online. Ollie had given her a key to come and go as she pleased, but Ali had told Jamie she was not allowed to leave the apartment, so she spent her days cooking and cleaning. Colleen spent time at the mosque with other Muslim woman, women who taught her the proper ways of praying. After her first time praying, a pain that bothered Colleen's stomach was suddenly gone. This solidified her faith in Islam. Again, weeks went by, and Colleen grew frustrated. Alling was not fulfilling any of his promises in training or planning for the jihad. But Colleen was persistent. She wrote to Eagle Eye saying, quote, Only death will stop me here. I am so close to the target. She returned to, Muslim dating, to the Muslim dating site, hoping to find someone that would get her to Sweden and had a place for her to stay there. But two weeks later, Colleen's perspective and attitude started to shift. One day when she was in the car with another Muslim woman while the, that woman's husband was inside the store, Colleen noticed how happy the woman seemed with her life. She had a husband and her children, and Colleen grew jealous. She asked the woman about her thoughts on Ollie. The woman replied that her husband believed Ollie was misleading Colleen, and Colleen was just a lost soul. She also said maybe Lars did deserve to die, but it, it was not up to Ollie and Colleen to decide. Rather, Allah. This was a whole new perspective to, of Islam that Colleen had not encountered before. A new, a now a non-violent outlook. On top of that, Colleen was growing homesick. She missed her family and boyfriend. Thought so far. Now she wants to go crawling back. Yep. See, this is why I think it was a scam the whole time. I don't think these men... One, Eagle Eye claimed to be a part of Al-Qaeda. But these men... All of these people just seem like outcasts to society that found... Other people that were outcasts, all these people seem vulnerable, seem insecure. 
took this extremist view and it tied them all together and made them all feel like they had people that they could trust, people they could believe in, a family. And Colleen believed in it so much that she was going to set the ball in motion, but it felt like everyone else, like, yeah, they were talking about killing this guy, but at the end of the day, they weren't really going to kill this. Like, they didn't really want to. She was a little little enthusiastic. But see, to me, it just seems like a scam more than it seems like this terrorist cell. I can see that. I don't know. That's not the. That's not what any of the other articles said. That's just my vibe. It just felt like none of these people were actually going to kill this guy. Yeah, they were just talking. And Colleen was just the only one. It's like every. You know those times when you're. You're in a group and you're all talking about like yeah we should do this or that and like everyone's just kind of playing hypothetical mm-hmm. with it, but then there's that one person that really believed that like. It was going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what this felt like was everyone was being like hypothetical, like, oh, we should kill them. And then Colleen didn't know that everyone else was kind of joking or being hypothetical about it. Took it seriously. I don't know. That's my take. And then the question comes in. I'm not saying it's not a crime, but like. If there, because it did start happening. Colleen did go over there. She did start planning. But like, if they were all just playing hypothetical, is that a crime? If no one does anything about it, mm-hmm. the world may never know. I think. I mean, some people do know. I think it depends what you can argue in the court of law. Yeah, I could see both ways. I could see it. I could see it. And, like, I read one article where someone, I don't remember who, but I don't know, someone high up, some, like, assistant president of, like, the FBI terrorism unit or whatever someone like that That's long name. and they were basically saying because they i think they were asked that question like how do you know when the threat's actually real and they basically said well we're just gonna think everything's real and just treat it like so which sounds great it's like yeah might as well like because the consequence of not is worse than the consequence of doing But then I feel like you get into this gray area of, okay, but when are you, one, when you look at things online, are you being prejudicial to the Islamic faith and the people that don't believe in violence? And, like, I just feel like there's this gray area. Colleen's not happy, happy that nothing's moving. She's starting to grow homesick. This isn't what she thought it was going to be. She's not happy. So Colleen reached out to her boyfriend using a new Irish phone number. And when he called her back, he told her to come home immediately. Her mother was gravely ill. Colleen knew she had to go home. The next step was figuring out how to get there. Because she had no money. 
So she got on the FBI's website and sent a tip in saying she was coming home. And everyone was like, this is weird. Why would you contact the FBI about yourself? Well, it's because Colleen was hoping that the FBI would pay for her plane ticket home. <clears throat> and she never heard back. So she called Kurt and he paid for her flight, which in my head was like, well, why didn't you ask him first? You did that in the first place? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was your first idea to go to the FBI? <laughs> I'm going to do that next time I'm overseas. Mm. FBI.com. The FBI arrested Colleen on October 15th, 2009, as soon as the plane landed on... I said as soon as the plane landed on the plane. They arrested her on the plane as soon as the plane landed. They told everyone, stay seated, we have a medical emergency, and then the FBI came, picked up the 411 woman in a burqa, and took her off the plane, and everyone was like... I don't think this is a medical emergency. They probably thought they were like, oh, the shoe's going to blow us up. But they made it all the way. <laughs> Colleen told them everything about the plan from start to finish. They also told Colleen that her mother wasn't sick. It had been a ruse to get Colleen to come back to the States. So the FBI was like, yeah, we're not paying for your plane ticket, but we'll probably know that you'll call Kurt. So we'll just figure out when you're going to land. Uh, when the FBI agent asked if Colleen got scared and that's why the jihad didn't happen Colleen said no it was because the men moved slowly and she felt let down they asked her this question again I, if, you know if she got cold feet I think they were trying to help her out in the fact like well if you say you got scared or didn't really want to do it you know your charges will be a little lesser yeah, she's like, oh, I did. Yeah, she was like, no, I was I was going to do it. It was the men. They weren't going to do it. And I was like, I wanted to blow shit up. No, she don't want to blow it. She want to shoot Lars Vilks. <laughs> I wanted to shoot shit up. Is that better? I guess. But, yeah, I think they were trying to help her, and she was not catching the cue of, like, hey, if you say you didn't want to do this, you'll get out more. They asked about Jamie and where the stolen passport was. Colleen said she lived with Jamie in Ireland, but the two didn't talk much. She didn't rat on Muhammad and instead lawyer lawyered up. In the meantime, Jamie and her son was still living with Ollie, and Jamie hated every minute of it. Ollie showed no affection toward Jamie and didn't live up to any of his promises of teaching her Islam. Instead, Jamie would cook and clean while Ollie took her son out to the park. Ollie would also dress the son up in Muslim attire and give him a toy gun to hold. Basically, raising him from a young age to be the extreme version of Islamic. Jamie described herself as a sex slave who wanted to come home, but was afraid she was going to... She was was afraid her mom was going to take away her son. Still, she started reconnecting with friends and family in Colorado. Until January 2010, when she found out she was pregnant and felt that she definitely couldn't leave now. However, on March 9th, 2010, the Irish police busted down the apartment door and arrested Ollie and Jamie. The police questioned Jamie about her knowledge of the plot against Lars Vilk. 
But the truth was Jamie didn't know much because Ollie never told her anything. Jamie really wasn't part of this plot. That same day, the FBI officially announced the charges against Colleen, who had been in jail since October, but decide but the FBI had decided to keep her arrest quiet until the rest of the group were arrested. So no one knew about this whole thing. No one knew. The FBI also okay, so once they told were like, by the way, we arrested this woman for like a, this plot attempt against the Swedish cartoonist, this is when the media started going crazy about Colleen, this American woman, white with blonde hair, who was a terrorist and calling it the, the new face of terrorism, the new wave of terrorism. And it, I mean, it made news all over the world. The FBI also raided the apart apartment Muhammad lived in with his parents. He helped the helped the police some and lied some. He said he was reformed. He really wasn't reformed. He did eight different interviews with the FBI without his parents' lawyer because he thought he was a witness, not a suspect. Again, these people were just naive. They weren't these cunning mastermind terrorists. <laughs> I just feel it was, I just feel like it was a bunch of outcast people talking online. So it seems and like that, they really suck. If Colleen never took it seriously, she probably would have never gone. Like if Colleen didn't take it seriously, none of them would have taken it seriously. No action would not have been made. At the time of of her arrest, Colleen thought the same thing. She thought this is how naive she is. She thought since the murder never happened, there wasn't a crime committed. Then the F yeah. so in this interview, it's kind of funny because she she was talking about she was like, I told him what I knew, but I didn't think I would be arrested for anything. I didn't mm -hmm. do anything. There was no crime. She's like, but then the FBI told me this thing about conspiracy to commit murder. And then she started to explain it to the interviewer and I was like girl most people know what conspiracy to commit that that is a crime that you cannot plan and almost execute a crime so the FBI explained conspiracy to commit murder on top of to her on top of other terrorism charges Khalid completed okay so Muhammad completed his whole senior year and got accepted into Johns Hopkins University Ooh. before the FBI arrested him in June of 2011 at the age of 17. Damn. <clears throat> many, <throat> many theorized they waited so long because he went a whole nother school year so he could be tried as an adult. Mm, also smart. Is it, or is that maybe an abuse of power? A little bit of both, but... Yeah, probably both. Because I feel like you don't get to wait until the committer of the crime is of the age you want before you arrest them. Mm -hmm. Also, John, John Hopkins then revoked his his exception. Okay. Don't do the crime. 
Yeah. And they're like, the oh, wait, we just found out that you have some charges for, like, some terrorism activity. You cannot come to school here. He, either way, he is still the youngest person to face terrorism charges in the U.S. Colleen, Jamie, and Muhammad all pled guilty to conspiracy to provide material support to terrorists. Then Colleen additionally pled guilty to conspiracy to kill a foreign, in a foreign country, lying to the FBI and identity theft for stealing Kurt's passport and birth certificate. Because she was going to give the passport to, like, Muslim men that needed to cross or something. Uh-huh. Colleen received, how much time do you think she received? <clears throat> Ten years. She received... Yes. She received 10 years in prison Having already served Four in solitary confinement Which I think it's crazy That they had already like already Put her in solitary confinement I don't I, can, I get that Can't let her be okay, making no moves with the other terrorists Can't take no chance. Like she has internet Just take away her internet access but What if there she's communicating with the other inmate? Yeah Yeah there's always a way okay. one the one FBI guy in this interview was basically saying once we got Colleen in her in like our custody you could tell this was kind of just like a phase for her like she was over it she didn't want to be like this nonviolent thing she, he was basically like you knew she wasn't going to do anything any, like she might still believe in the Islam faith but she wasn't going to plan another terrorist attack that she wasn't was what scared. she really she it wasn't that she was scared. They just could tell that's not really what she believed in. That she literally just got caught up in this group of people, and this plan. And once it was done, or realized it wasn't what she wanted, she was like, "Yeah, just, I don't want to do this." And that's what I believe. So I don't. I'm gonna be honest. I don't think she's a threat. I don't think she's gonna go out and hurt anyone else. I don't understand why she had to be in a solitary confinement for three years, four years. I just think that's a really long time. Everyone's a threat, kids, in their own way. No. In 2014, Muhammad received a sentence of five years with credits for three years he had already served. So he had two more years to go. And I think there was like a lot of back and forth on his case because... I didn't read a whole lot about it. I think he had to go through a lot of mental, like, evaluation, psychological evaluation. Yeah. I think he was, he had, they ended up determining he had, like, a form of Asperger's. So I think there was, like, a lot of, like, back and forth on if he was, and, Yeah, like, if he was yeah. able to get charged or not without, or with the sanity. Yes. And there's this, like, really great article. I didn't have time to read all of it because I found it not long before but I think he like completely turned his life around and now it talks about his experience and getting caught up and knowing it's wrong and how he was able to like what in his life was happening that caused him to get so caught up and what he's doing now I think it I mean, it seems like he's doing incredible things now. Hmm. He's recognized what he's done. I want to know, like, someone like him. I wonder if, like, the, like, government is still keeping tabs on him. 
Like, even though, like, he turned his whole life around and all that, I wonder if they're still keeping, like, tabs on him, like, if he's still I mean, this was a this was an article in the Washington Post magazine, which is a major publication, which is a... So, if they're not keeping tabs on him, he's basically putting his tabs out in public. So, he's making it real easy for him if he is. It's yeah. not like he's trying to hide. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it would be interesting if they still watch these people. Yeah. Because I feel like they would. So I was like, eh. I feel like they'd rather spend their money on something else. Like watching somebody else. And again, I'm going to be honest. I don't think these people are an actual threat. I don't know, mm-hmm. like, if I was the FBI, I'd be like, this was essentially members of a cult that got caught up and now they're all out of it. I don't see them doing anything. I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't think these people are violent without the pressure from someone else telling them to be violent. Mm-hmm. But on their own, I don't think they are. Yeah. And Jamie received eight years in prison. Ollie remained in Irish custody facing charges not related to this case, even though the U.S. wanted to try them. I'm going to be real honest. I didn't look that deep into his case because this was already really long. Yeah. So I, I didn't want to get into this rabbit hole of like his defense, what all he went to jail for, where is he now, yada, yada, yada. We would be here for another hour. Yeah. The FBI never did track down Eagle Eye or <coughs> Abdullah. And like I said, this was a major case that everyone in America basically were so shocked by this and never thought that Americans could be recruited for terrorism and was like such a sensationalized news story. And the FBI was like, yeah, they're recruiting people online. Mm -hmm. That was the sensationalized story of the Jihad Jane case. Quite quite the story. Yeah, what do you think? Thoughts? Um, comments? Encore, encore. Sounds like a bunch oh, you of... Want me to keep going? No, 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 no. Sounds like a bunch of wannabe terrorists. Wannabe I don't thugs. even know if they're wannabe terrorists or just... Not thinking for themselves. Yeah, they're just trying to be somebody. Mm-hmm. They're just trying to be accepted, and it was these few men that were able to get an event. Two women and a high school kid to commit murder, but who even knows if Eagle Eye is a part of Al Qaeda or just some other dude sitting on the internet creating this fantasy life? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other thoughts? Mm-mm. So she's out of jail now, huh? Yeah, I think they're all out of jail. Yeah. Did you hear about the partner link of that guy turned his life around? Yeah, I heard about that. I don't believe him. You gotta watch <laughs> him. You gotta watch him. See, that's what I was saying, bro. Do they still watch him? God, don't watch those him. Are the que- those are the questions that hunt me. Okay, what about similarities and differences in this episode and the Law and Order LA episode? Well, the girl in the show didn't go to overseas. 
She did build, help build a bomb, though. They had similar girls who were very susceptible. They were cuckoo for cuckoo I think Amy was 100% based off of Colleen. Yeah. Yeah. The falling in the, like, because they portrayed Amy as this girl that, like, wouldn't be Islamic, wouldn't be violent if it wasn't for this man making her believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This gullible woman. That's kind of yeah. what Colleen was. Although Colleen didn't believe any of these men loved her. She just... She wasn't desperate for Wiener like Amy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and both these women went over there thinking it was going to be one way and got there and realized these men suck. Which is, again... Why I think it's a scam. I don't think these men... I don't even think these men were terrorists. I think they were just a scam too. Smells like a setup. Yeah, they never had a female talk to him before. Oh, I forgot to mention that Lars Vilks ended up dying in a car accident. I think in 2017. He was 75. He still had a police um, protection. Oh, they looked in to see if this was something sketchy, but mm. they think it was just a car accident. Sabotage. No sabotage, just a car accident. That's what I'm saying, man. If you're like one of those people who got released, any little thing you do with the law, they're probably like, oh, back to their ways. I mean, I get why you would have to, right? Because you yeah. wouldn't want to be 100% sure because the outcome. I mean, it's, a, it's just so much to think about in this case. I don't, I don't know. I don't love that everyone, like, freaked out because they were like, oh, she looks like us, this terrorist looks like us. Yeah. yeah. Because it just makes you think that, because then you can ask them the question, well, what is she supposed to look like? And they would give you the description of any Middle Eastern Man, they don't even have to believe in Muslim faith. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, it looks like him. And it's like, okay, but that's not a terror. I mean, that's not a terrorist. Anyone can make a terroristic act. But just because the men that in Al-Qaeda are Middle Eastern doesn't mean that every Middle Eastern man or the face of terrorism is a Middle Eastern man. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That's my only problem with it. It was like, everyone was like, ah, it's not a Middle Eastern man. What What are we going to do? How are we going to protect ourselves? The mm-hmm. threat is anywhere. It's like, it was already anywhere. <laughs> Very true. Anyways, that's my rant. I also, they watched the videos of the kids. That was another similarity. In the TV show, shoot, they were talking about how they're standing up for the kids. Mm. That's what Colleen thought she was doing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of similarities, I think. Well, the cartoonists, they, their first, they thought their first target was a cartoonist in the show. That's true. And then this one actually was a cartoonist. So you working on your dance moves, A-Rod? Oh, yeah. Alrighty. 
Yes, please. I'm, I can't think anymore. I can't concentrate. I'm hungry. Okay, I gotta okay. Cook. Okay. All right. Do y'all want to guess what the next episode is going to be? It is. Law and Order UK. I haven't put that one on the list yet. I'm sorry. Uh, all right. NCIS. Okay. A-Rod? Uh, let's see. We watched Hawaii Five O two episodes ago. We watched... Dude, that was three episodes ago. Oh, what was last week's? New Orleans. It's, yeah. Um, Law and Order: Criminal Intent. We're watching CSI Miami. Dang! Ooh, I get We're to see somebody f- die. Bah, bah, last bah. week. Last week we were in New Orleans. This week we were in LA. Next week we are headed to Miami. I think next time we like watch a show like that, we should travel to the place. Mm-hmm. We're traveling forever. None of these shows take place in Colorado. Exactly. Mexico. Exactly. <laughs> That's <the> point. <laughs> so we should travel to Hawaii. Is that what you're saying? Hell yeah! I'm trying to go to Hawaii. <laughs> All right, we're watching CSI Miami. G O. Season 9, episode 21. Okay. CSI Miami is on Paramount. Yes, right. Paramount. I'm telling you, all of these shows are on Paramount, Prime, or Hulu. Hey, man, we gotta let them know so they don't have to be... Yeah, we gotta, we gotta... Yeah. Okay. Alright, this was a fun episode of... An interesting episode. I don't know if it was fun, but it was interesting episode and with that i'm your host kenzie huseman this is crime on prime time and we are signing off see you